night, and uh, we're going to pray and get started and get into some of these things. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for everything that you do for us every single day of our life, Lord, how you sustain us and help us and uh, just keep us moving forward in the right direction as we spend time with you. So Lord, I pray that you bless our time this evening. I pray for all the Iwana groups right now meeting. Would you please bless the leaders, give them strength and understanding and wisdom. And Lord, for all the young ones that are under the ministry, would you reach out to them, Lord, as uh, some certainly need to come to Christ yet, others that need to be growing in their spiritual walk with you. So Lord, bless the time, bless all those uh, groups meeting tonight. And Lord, thank you for uh, the pits and bargers, and Lord, I pray that you'd get them back to full health quickly as uh, they're just not feeling the best right now. So Lord, we uh, ask that you give them strength and uh, healing. Then for all of us in uh, the auditorium tonight, would you please meet with us in a special way? Might we be excited and encouraged by what we see tonight and here? And uh, we'll give the praise for all that takes place in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we're going to get into Acts in a few minutes here as we peel God's Word one passage at a time. But uh, we're going to spend the first uh, maybe 20, 30 minutes here looking at a major, major world situation that is happening as we speak. And what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about the World Economic Forum and... uh, uh, I, I don't know how many of you heard it, but I was on with uh, Jim Schneider on uh, In Focus, actually, it was TV30, uh, a couple nights ago, and he gave me this article, and it's uh, very good. It comes from the Epic Times. It's got several quotes from Klaus Schwab. If you don't know who he is, we'll introduce him to you. Uh, the bottom line is the Epic Times came out with this article, World Economic Forum Declares 2023 the Year of the Poly Crisis. All right, so what does poly crisis mean? Poly basically meaning more than one, so we have a multiplicity of problems in the, now we're not talking about the United States. Klaus Schwab is not an American. Uh, Klaus Schwab is the head of the World Economic Forum, and it is a very, very powerful group, as you're going to find out tonight if you're not already aware of it. So uh, we're going to get into a couple of the things that he is doing as we speak. Uh, The forum is actually meeting this week in Davos, Switzerland. Our government is involved with this. Multiplicity of governments are involved with this from around the world. And uh, it's something that, uh, as a Christian, I think we should know what's happening here. The good news is everything I'm going to tell you about is setting the stage for the rapture to take place because the things that they're working towards all have prophetic significance, specifically when we look at the three things that the Antichrist will put into play, which is the one world government, the one world economy, and the one world religion. So uh, I'm going to read a couple of these statements. Uh, I could just, uh, it's written well, so I think it'll just behoove me to read some of these things. So uh, again, Klaus Schwab is a getting to be a household name, a major, major individual when it comes to uh, world global politics right now. Just think about, here's, here's his main goal. Klaus Schwab literally wants the one world government as quick as 
possible. He wants to decentralize the different countries. His, his pushing hard that the more diversity there is, the more different countries there are, the worse off the world's going to be. The biggest issue that he is using to do this is the climate change thing. So when we look at it from a biblical standpoint, it's like, well, we know climate change. We know that there's going to be a thousand-year trib or a seven-year tribulation, a thousand-year millennial kingdom, and we don't fall into the trap of worried about the world's going to fall apart and be burned up in a couple of years. We know as God's people, we know as Bible-believing Christians, that's not going to happen. But how many people in the world are Bible-believing Christians? It's a small fraction. And there's massive amount of countries that, I mean, you have a Bible, you go to jail. So what we're looking at now is an individual who is just getting an unbelievable amount of power. And uh, I'll stop there and read a couple of these things. The World Economic Forum, WEF, Chairman Klaus Schwab, announced the kickoff of the 53rd Annual Meeting of Political Leaders, Corporate Executives, and activists in Davos, Switzerland, declaring that the summit will focus on rededicating its members to a progressive climate, here's the next piece, so progressive climate and social justice agenda in the midst of what he described as unprecedented multiple crises. Now again, don't think of this strictly from an, on the United States of America situation. This is a global issue that he's addressing, and quite frankly, our government is getting sucked right into this big time. Uh, the theme of our meeting in Davos is cooperation in a fragmented world. In other words, there's not a single globalist leader, therefore we're fragmented. Well, that sounds just like somebody that's going to be coming on the scene after the rapture, known as the Antichrist, Daniel 9.27, when he does what? He gets the whole world to follow him. Now, am I stating Klaus Schwab is that individual? No, I'm not stating that at all at this point. Uh, but he's basically setting the stage for exactly what the Antichrist is going to do and actually be successful at. All right, so in what the WEF, again, World Economic Forum, that's, that's a, a, a term that you, uh, I would, is it necessary to know? No. Do I think it's a good idea to know? Absolutely. So what the WEF calls the year of the poly or multiple crisis, Klaus declared the economic, environmental, social, and geopolitical crises are converging and conflating, creating an extremely versatile and uncertain future. Versatile, I don't think that's the word they want. They probably wanted a different word, but anyway... Uh, by the way, uh, I'm, it's something I'm always into a lot, but some this may be a new term, geopolitical. What does that mean? Yeah, what were you saying, Carol? Yeah, it's a, and that's that's a good way to put it. It's it's a geographical political landscape. So when you're looking at geopolitical issues, you're looking at things which can be on a global scale, where are they at geographically, and how is it affecting the whole. So, uh, very well done. And here's what he said, we are all stuck in a crisis mindset. So Klaus Schwab wants to be the hero and get the world, again, the world, out of a crisis mindset. 
He warned but reassured attendees that the annual meeting at Davos shall try to make sure that leaders do not remain trapped in the crisis mindset. Well, how do you get out of a crisis mindset? Well, here's what Klaus said. Uh, but here's what we need to do. We need to develop a longer-term constructive perspective to shape the future in more sustainable, more inclusive, and more resilient way. Well, sustainable means it matches up with his doctrine, if you will, or his position. More inclusive. What's he saying? Think of it again from this big globalist picture. The Some 200 countries that exist today, if all the countries come together and are included and are underneath him, life is good. And most of us are sitting here probably thinking, like, who's going to buy into this? Let me tell you who's buying into it. The World Economic Forum Summit features a record turnout from many of the most powerful government and corporate officials. There will be 379 public officials attending, including 30 heads of state, 56 finance ministers, 19 central bank governors. Now, when we're talking about central bank, we're talking about world globalist type banking. 39 heads of global organizations. He said, I didn't know there were 39 global organizations, much less 39 heads. Folks, everything is, is being set up to move to the biblical Antichrist agenda. And it's just uh, 39 different major world organizations coming together, along with a massive amount of politicians, heads of state, which means presidents, dictators from other countries, all being involved in this. Uh, including the United Nations. Well, that's no shock. The International Monetary Fund, again, international, catch the words, Monetary Fund, and the World Trade Organization. Not the American Trade Organization or something on a small basis, world. So do you see what's starting to take place? That Things are expanding on a global, worldwide basis, and all of this massive thing that's taking place is just heading right towards prophecy. Uh, here's uh, We have the key players globally, said Borg Brende, one of several WEF managing directors, to create collaboration even in this fractured world. He also noted that the WEF is expecting a high-level, poetic pause, Chinese delegation. Now, how many times have we talked about China here? A whole lot. So, uh, again, why do we care about China? Well, when we look at Revelation 16, the kings of the east, uh, Mr. Xi Jinping, who is currently the head of state for China, uh, he's a serious uh, communist, uh, absolutely, and uh, very strong on his position and has a tremendous amount of power right now. So, uh, and by the way, we've talked about other things involving China, buying up farmland in America. By the way, do you know how many, I don't even know the number, so I'm just going to say, do you know how many, because I don't, but it's a huge number. Do you know how many Chinese exchange students and, and Chinese students there are in America right now? Massive amount, massive amount. Uh, back uh, some years ago, and my son Trevor, whom you know, uh, Trevor was in high school. We had a foreign exchange student from China. 
a wonderful young lady, but uh, if you go to Martin Luther High School now, they built a complete building instead of farming out the, the students from China. Now they have a full dormitory for the high school. This, folks, this is everywhere. Uh, foreign exchange students are like massive in numbers. Uh, Chinese uh, individuals that are part of uh, uh, our, our normal everyday economic system are everywhere. And, and it's no, and catch my drift though, this isn't a diss on the Chinese people that are here. I mean, uh, the young lady that we had lived with us for four years, wonderful person. Uh, what I'm saying though is there's this massive infiltration, which eventually, who knows, right? Um, they're here. Along with the subversives. By the way, do you, do you guys believe in spies from other countries? Yeah, you know, it's like, you, you know, you watch movies or you watch or read spy novels and all this stuff, and it's like, yeah, 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 whatever. And, and, it, and we can be very dismissive of those things. If I, and I've been out of law enforcement now for four years, there are more terrorist cells and subversive cells four years ago than they had, if they had one they didn't have one agent able to be assigned to every group in America right now. Just one agent that uh, fell far short just to be able to watch a cell. So it, it just gives you a clue, folks, that uh, subversive infiltration in our country is massive, and that's open source news. It's nothing top secret. Everybody knows it. Uh, it's out there in the media, and it's a very difficult thing. Well. That's another side issue. What am I saying here? When you look at what's taking place, you have leaders again like Klaus Schwab who is working towards that one world government. And again, the good news I always say is this. The good news is the closer we get to that, the quicker we're out of here because the one world government really does not come to total fruition until the second half of the tribulation period. So the Antichrist is going to come on, Daniel 9.27. He'll make that peace treaty with Israel. He'll get worldwide attention. People will start to come to him. And then the real hammer drops uh, the second half of the tribulation, according to Revelation 12 and 13. Uh, here's, I, I got to read a couple more things. Uh, th some of this language, it just uh, kind of blows your mind. This year's agenda, speaking of... Uh, uh, the World Economic Forum session, which is taking place as we speak this week. This year agenda includes doubling down on the transition to renewable energy. Now, what does that mean? It means we get rid of, they're doing everything they can to get rid of fossil fuels, gasoline, all that type of thing. That's forbidden by their agenda. What do they want to go to? Electric, electric cars, electric this, electric that. And by the way, if we, I'm not going to take the time. I've got messages I've done on, and it's in the book I wrote on globalism. I go through, do you know what kind of resources you need in order to, to produce enough batteries and sustainable energy? Here's just a, a fact of life, which they don't want to tell you, but it's a fact. To make the number of batteries, like for cars and trucks and all that type of thing, you've, they have very specific elements that are within those batteries. You don't pick that stuff up in America. You've got to import it from foreign countries. The mining of that 
particular elements of some of those elements that are needed is extremely expensive. It's limited and it's also dangerous because some of the countries are not real prone to say, yeah, sure, come on in here and take our resources. And uh, it, it, say what? Yeah, I, I mean, it, there, there's countries that are, first of all, they don't want to give us anything unless the price is outrageous. So, and then there's limited quantities. So when you start to look, there's like, oh, yeah, no big deal. It is a big deal. Uh, and, of course, you know what's going to happen according to Scripture? <laughs> Go to, you read Revelation 6 through 16. The world's going to be in chaos. I mean, it just is. There's not going to be any money. There's not going to be any resources. The economy's going to be shot. Everything's going upside down. 50% of the world's population is going to end up dead. That's 4 billion people out of 8 billion people. Uh, it's just, in, uh, people like to say it's a train wreck. Well, it's, it's worse than a train wreck. It's like a, a worldwide crisis. If you think we're in a crisis now, Mr. Klaus Schwab, stick around, brother. And if he'll, he's here during the tribulation period, he'll, he'll really know what a crisis is. Because all of this, by the way, how long is the sustainability of what Klaus Schwab, Schwab is recommending here? Yeah, that was, honestly, it was an accident. Um, how sustainable is the program he's trying to implement? There's no way. Absolutely no way on earth is this a sustainable thing that he's trying to do. But when Satan and the demonic world and the infiltration that is taking place, and you're like, you're, you're, some, some, and maybe some watching on the internet, they're like, this is crazy. I've never heard a guy speak like this before. You're off your rocker. No, folks, if you just, just read the book, it's, it's right in there that this stuff is literally going to happen. And this is not a sustainable program. So you're like, well, what's your purpose in even going through this tonight? Here's the purpose. I don't really, all of this really doesn't matter to me. He does not matter to me, nor does the World Economic Forum matter to me one iota as a Christian. Don't care about him or his program. Here's what I do care about, though. So when you see the massive amount of buy-in that he and other major world organizations are getting right now, what does that tell me and you as Christians? It's like, listen, the, the, the Scripture mandates that this actually comes to fruition. It's going to be fulfilled prophecy someday. But God's going to take this whole system down. It's going to crumble in the worst of ways. And it's not really, when, do you, when is the first time, this is a thinking question now, and there is an answer. When is the first time that a sustainable world will be in place? In the millennium, when who's going to be on the throne? Jesus Christ himself. So Revelation, just a little recap, Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, Jesus comes back with whom? All his saints, the Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, tribulation martyrs, all come back here during the millennium. Again, that's Revelation 19, 11 to 21. So Jesus comes back at the end of that seven-year horrible tribulation where over the massive amount of people that will die during that time because they're buying into nonsense like this. The world's going to go upside down. Jesus Christ comes back and he sets up his 1,000-year millennial kingdom, Revelation 21 to 7, and massive amount of other scriptures in the Old Testament. So 
All these things simply do this for me. They make me excited because it's like, okay, we know this has got to happen. It's got to start going in that direction uh, in order for when Satan actually does, uh, through the Antichrist, get complete control of this world. It's not going to be something unthought of or unheard of. The world is going to be ready for what is coming. All right, let me just give you a couple other things on this, and then we'll pop into Acts. So the unfortunate thing with uh, when we start getting into these groups is there are 6 million different acronyms. There's a couple of them that are becoming very prominent right now. So again, the WEF, World Economic Forum, that's one of those when you see that on the news or hear it on the radio and uh, Christian radio stations and so forth are uh, uh, talking about the WEF a lot. And uh, so when you see it, it's not the WWE, it's the WEF. Don't you guys watch that? WWE? No? I guess that was back when I was a kid or whatever. It's losing traction. All right. Anyway, the World Wrestling uh, Federation is not what we're talking about. We're talking the World Economic Forum. All right, I got a few people that know it. Now, here's a couple acronyms just so you'll also see these. These are really coming of time right now. Everything okay? Oh, we crashed? Am I back up? <laughs> For those on the Internet, if we uh, crash, we are back, hopefully. Um, don't go away. We'll be right back. Uh Diversity, equity, inclusion. Now, that's, that's one of these newer things. I'm going to read a quick little paragraph, so I've got a couple more minutes on this. This year's agenda includes doubling down on the transition to renewable energy, the codification of, and now here's the ESG, environmental, social, and governance standards to make compliance more measurable. Social and green jobs for building inclusive and sustainable economies and diversity, equity, and inclusion lighthouses and, and global risk report. Now, I, this would take a whole hour just to go through these two things. But uh, needless to say, these two concepts are what they're trying to get the world people, the world organizations to buy into, uh, specifically environmental. Everybody knows what that means in today's culture, right? Everything's about climate change, being good green people, uh, good green people, and whatever that means. Uh, <laughs> uh, very sensitive to the environment and all those good things. So environmental, social issues. And uh, we know our social issues in America. There's different social agendas all across the world. And then governance. That's huge. When I say the word governance, anybody, uh, just for fun, when I say governance, anything pop into your mind? So what? Tyranny. I, oh, tyranny, okay. <laughs> that could be. Anything else? Governance. Do we have governance in America? Yes. Do you have governance in Union Grove? Yes. Every place you go, there is governance. It's a matter of who is leading whatever city, state, uh, country you live in. So everything has government. There's governance for everything. What Klaus Schwab, the World Economic Forum, and those that are buying into this, again, it's the world, global, that's the whole thing. All right? 
So I'm going to quit with that tonight, but uh, no, I'm not. One last thing. You know how I am. Always. I, how many of you know who Columbo is? You ever watch that? All right. You know, yeah, on the, yeah there you go. So uh, those of you that don't know Columbo, go on some channel. It's probably on, you know, oldies and moldies kind of thing. But it was a good show. It, it was fun. But Columbo, uh, he always had on his trench coat, kind of sloppily dressed and whatever, but he was very smart. And uh, he'd uh, ask a question and start walking away, and then he'd always stop and say, one more thing. <laughs> and uh, that was always the punch question because he was going to, he, he had him when he said one more thing. He knew he had him and asked the question. All right, last thing. For real, polycrisis. Here's what the polycrisis is according to the World Economic Forum. The World Economic Forum assembled, uh, assembled an extensive matrix of threats facing the world. Remember, world. The top five short-term risks were the cost of living crisis. And all God's people said, <laughs> yeah, um, the cost of living crisis natural disasters and extreme weather, geoeconomic confrontation, failure to mitigate climate change, and erosion of social cohesion and societal polarization. Pretty fancy terms basically meaning nobody can get along. All right. The report noted that looking farther ahead, the top four most severe risks over the next 10 years are all environmental. So the, the, the thing that's drawing the world together is the little children who are making uh, uh, statements and are the older folks that are making statements and everybody puts them on YouTube and the national media and it's like we're killing our planet if we don't all come together, kumbaya, we'll all destroy each other. That is the mantra of the globalist. And again, I, 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 I like to look at the, the folks and it's like I look around, a lot of people are like, you're just smiling like, yeah, yeah. And you're right. It, it, it's, it's totally bonkers what people are buying into, but they're buying into it. And, uh, well, it's, gonna, it's leading the step to fulfill Bible prophecy. All right. And again, for those that uh, never, or maybe this is your first time watching, or if you're a visitor tonight, I don't know if we have any, any first-time visitors here. I don't think so. Oh, right there we go. All right. Uh, good to see you. And just so you know, I'm, I'm self-proclaiming I'm not nuts, okay? <laughs> uh, uh, it, it, this, this stuff is so weird. I mean, and, and it's like, well, we're in a Christian environment, in a Christian church. Why do we talk about this? Well, again, and, and for the, the sake of uh, the, our visitor tonight and others that uh, are newer, and by the way, uh, we invite you to come here at uh, 9 a.m. Sunday morning. That's when we have uh, places packed out, and we have our we we got our best shine on on, on at 9 a.m. So you come back then, and we'd love to see you there if you can. So thanks for being here tonight, though. All right, uh, let's move on. Let's get into the book of Acts. Oh, did he? Okay. Okay. Yeah, he, uh, 
uh, Crosstalk, which you can get on VCY.TV network. It's also on VCY something. So if you, if you got one, anybody got a cell phone here? Yeah. Uh, you go to your Play Store, you can get the VCY app and uh, pick it up, or um, that's the best way to get it. Otherwise, uh, 107.7 or TV30 is, uh, of course, other ways to get it. All right, let's get into the book of Acts. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. So we're going to be going through as... I'm probably going to get through the whole chapter tonight. Uh, by the way, just as I think most of you, if you were here Sunday, are aware, uh, so I'll be traveling to Texas, to, let's see, Friday morning. I'll be at uh, Bibleville, Texas. Like Bibleville, that's a place. It's an actual place. Got about a 1,000 snowbirds down there, uh, better known as uh, folks that uh, go down there for the winter. And uh, it's a great place to go. Uh, I've never been there, but I've seen the videos, and a lot of folks I know, they go down there. So I'm doing uh, uh, seven, six days, nine message series on uh, Bible prophecy down there. So if you if you got nothing better to do, drive down to Texas or take a flight down, and I'll see you there at Bibleville. Uh, but uh, um, Josh Steele will be preaching Sunday, so uh, please come hear him. And he'll teach next Wednesday night, and then I'll be back uh, a week from Sunday, which is going to be a huge day. Uh, next Sunday, we got baptisms. We're going to have a testimony. We've got uh, um, potluck dinner. Don't forget, bring, your, uh, bring a dish to pass and uh, a dessert if you can. If you can't do that, just bring yourself. And then uh, we'll have our annual business meeting at about 1230 after we all eat. And that way you all fall asleep when I'm talking about the business stuff, which is pretty much what I want. No. Uh, but uh, it'll be a good time. Uh, reports will be out next. They'll be coming in. All, everybody that's got an email address on file uh, will be sending you the annual report probably Friday or Saturday. Uh, we'll have a few hard copies here if you don't uh, read your emails or know how to do whatever if, or some of the folks that don't use it. So that's all coming up. But enough said, let's get into the Bible. Father, I pray now that as we open up the Word of God that you'd speak to our hearts this evening. Lord, this is a, such a wonderful passage talking about the transition from the Old Testament way of Judaism to the basic uh, uh, spread of the gospel, the grace of God after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So Father, I pray that you'd uh, encourage us, that you'd motivate us by what we look at this evening, and we'll give you the praise for it in Christ's name, amen. All right, what we're, what we're getting into, and uh, most of you are familiar with this that have been part of the study in the past or studies that we've done, we're looking at the major transitional things that are taking place. Very quickly, just to set the stage, when you're looking at the Old Testament, it was mainly a system that was specific to what group of people? The Jewish people. And if you were a Gentile, you literally proselytized or became a proselyte to Judaism uh, in the Old Testament. It was very, very Jewish-centered. Now, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, things are massively changing as we get into the book of Acts. So what we're seeing now, we're all the way up to chapter 10 now, much of the progression of the gospel has started, but now we're getting into a major transition from where the Jewish people aren't the specific ones being reached, but we're going to reach into Gentile communities 
and start to see the expansion of the gospel, not just with Jewish culture or Jewish background or ethnic people, but also the Gentiles as well. All right, so Acts chapter 10, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. Now, when, when you look at Israel during the first century, what government was in charge? It was Rome, okay? And that's, of course, Rome or, the Roman soldiers are the one that put Jesus on the cross and uh, had the authority to crucify him. Even though it was the Jewish people that complained about Christ and wanted him crucified, it was actually the Roman government that had to perform the crucifixion because the Jews did not have legal authority to do that. So the Roman Romans were very involved. But now we got a guy named Cornelius. This guy's a God-fearing individual, and he's a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. Now, if you look at the bottom of the slide, a centurion basically was in charge of a uh, uh, hundred men. So when you think of a century, how many years is that? A hundred. So same concept. So a centurion led a hundred men, and uh, for a legion, there were 60 different officers in a legion, of which this person was one. So you have 60 times 100, you got 6,000 uh, men in a Roman legion, and uh, Cornelius was one of the leaders. So what else was he? The Bible says he was a devout man and one who feared God with all his household. So here's an individual that was basically had, had bought into the, the truth of who God is the, and, and was a devout man. So he worshiped God. He believed in him. He was a, a, a believer. What else did he do? He gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. All right, so first blush, is this a good guy? Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's go to verse 3. So about the ninth hour, and again, uh, if we're looking at thinking in uh, Jewish cultural terms, what time does a day start in Judaism? Say what? 6 a.m. Okay, 6 a.m. So we, in, in a, I mean, our clock, what time do we change days at? What time? At midnight is uh, when we change days. In a Jewish calendar, they start everything at 6. Basically, back in the old times, it was at sunset or sunup, that type of thing. But uh, now that we're a little a bit more advanced beyond just having the sun, we can. there is a time. So we're talking about the ninth hour, so if 6 a.m. or 6 p.m., uh, going ahead nine hours, you get to 3 p.m. So about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. Now, let's just pause there for a moment. Is this a story or is this reality? It's reality. It's, it's not a story. Um, outside of when God states he's giving a parable, in other words, teaching someone something uh, through a story, which always has a real meaning, He'll make that clear. But this is an absolute thing that took place. So God's saying, uh, Cornelius, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? Now, wait a minute. Who are we talking about here? What, what's the title of this guy? A what? A centurion. In common vernacular, what else would you call him? In, a, in, our, in our army or in our navy, what would you call this guy? 
okay, he's, he's, he's an official, he's, he's a tough guy, he's a, he's a soldier, just to put it in simplistic terms. He's a, he's a guy who's a warrior. And what happens to him when he, when he has an encounter with an angel? What does he do? He got scared. Then, I, I mean, just think about this. This is when God approaches somebody or sends an angel to somebody as in the, in the, in the scriptures, it's an awe-inspiring thing. And it gets their attention, which is, of course, God's purpose. So here we have this, this centurion who loves God, and all of a sudden an angel's sent to him, and he's like, whoa, and he gets scared. Well, rightly so. And he answers, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms has come up for a memorial before God. All right, now this is just a basic concept. Why is this important? Why is Cornelius being, uh, uh, being brought into the situation here? Verse 5. So he says, now send men. Cornelius says, how many men under him? A hundred. He's a centurion, so he's got a hundred folks under him. We're going to find out he also has other people that work for him. So now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Now we all know who Peter is, right? Uh, disciple and apostle of Christ. He is lodging with Simon a tanner. If you remember last week in uh, Acts chapter 9, the last verse talks about uh, uh, Simon a tanner, and it just it doesn't tell us anything. Well, here we start to learn about who Simon, Simon the Tanner is. By the way, uh, for those that uh, may not know, what's a tanner? Say what? Tans hides. Is that like a spanking? <laughs> That's bad. Uh, <laughs> uh, the hunters are like, you're embarrassing us. Uh, all right, so in other words, you, you kill an animal, you take it to a tanner, and they make the skin so you can put it up on your wall or make a rug out of it. Does that work, Tony? Was the tanner an unclean thing? Mm. You stumped me. I don't know. I don't know. I, I can't answer. Anybody know? You got a verse? Is a tanner unclean? Now, if he touches certain animals, he would be. Um... So if he's tanning unclean animals, yeah, he'd be unclean. We can go that far. Anyway, Simon's a tanner, okay? <laughs> and he only tan, and for the sake of this Bible study, he's only tanning good carcasses. <laughs> don't quote me on that because we don't know. All right, so he's lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. Well, we know it's the Mediterranean Sea because that's where Caesarea is. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household, what? Servants. So has this guy got some money? Has he got some power and prestige? He does, okay? Uh, uh, and, and, he, and he don't give alms if he don't have any money to give. So he's a philanthropist. He's a great guy. And uh, now he's getting told by this angel he needs to go down or have people go down to Simon a Tanner's house to find Peter. And when the angel spoke to him and had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. All right, now Joppa, by the way, if you go to Israel today, it's not Joppa, it's Jaffa, J-A-F-F-A, -A, uh, right off, uh, right by Caesarea, a beautiful place. It's a nice little community, and they still have a bunch of... Uh, um, 
shops and things and all. It's just a nice place. But anyway, uh, Joppa, if, if you look on the map that I'm showing you, Jerusalem, uh, not very far. Joppa's uh, uh, not that far, a few miles away. So he says, send them to Joppa. Well, what are they going to do there? Verse 9. The next day as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. So again, what time does the, we go from AM to PM kind of thing back in Jewish time? Six. So when we're talking about uh, the sixth hour, we go from 6 p.m., 6 a.m., up six hours, and what do we get? Well, it's the sixth hour of the day, so it's noon. Peter, good solid guy, says he got hungry and he wanted to eat. I can relate to that. But uh, while they made ready, he fell into a trance. All right, so very seriously now, Peter's up on the housetop, and God is about to do a miraculous thing here, and this is a major impact on what's going to take place with the gospel. So Peter falls into a trance. This is a God thing. This isn't uh, some weird spiritual mystical thing. God puts him in this trance. And what does he see? Well, he sees heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. All right, so again, this uh, everything is just kind of status quo. It's not really mind-boggling at this point, but we're going to now get into the thing that should get our attention. This is all, if you will, been setting the stage for what's coming. Verse 12, so on that sheet, that he's seeing in this trance when he's basically out of it, but all of this is coming from God. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, and here we start the process. Peter, rise up and eat. Rise, rise Peter, kill and eat. Now, Peter is a good what? He's a good Jew. Did he know the Old Testament? I would, I would say he did. The Old Testament has very specific mandates about what you do and don't eat. The sacrificial system, very specific. The dietary system, very specific. And we'll show you a couple of verses from that as we progress. So all of a sudden, Peter's getting this word from God to do something that's totally against the Old Testament law. Peter, rise up, kill, and eat. But Peter said, I always like when they throw the Lord in there and they tell him, I'm not going to do it. How do you say no to the Lord when Lord means you've given everything to that person, right? But here Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. So Peter now is having basically a tay-to-tay with uh, the messenger from God and saying, no, 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 I, you know, I can't do that. I'm a good Jewish person. I can't eat that which is unclean. So we're having this little debate in this trance that he's in. All right, let's just set the stage now why Peter was saying what he's saying. We go back to the Torah, the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. Torah is what? The first, how many books of the Bible? Five. Pentateuch is the first, how many books of the Bible? The law is the first, how many books of the Bible? Okay, three synonymous terms. All right? So, in Leviticus, which is very, I mean, if you, 
I, I don't, it, it sounds terrible. It's like, well, if you want to read certain passages, they, it, it's a good thing if you want to go to sleep. And uh, Leviticus can be very boring, if you will, because it goes a bunch of do's, don'ts, do's, don'ts, and it's very tedious and it's very mind-boggling, and it can be a little bit hard to read. But man, if you digest what's in there, oh, pun intended, uh, it really has a lot of meaning. All right, Leviticus 11, uh, verse 24. And by the way, the whole chapter of Leviticus 11 goes through other issues with unclean animals. But here's to help us out with tonight. All right, so by these you shall become unclean. And when Tony was talking about if a tanner touches unclean uh, a beast or whatever and they're cleaning their hide or if you're eating their meat, it's unclean. God doesn't want you to touch them. By these you shall become unclean. Whoever touches the carcass of any of them shall be unclean until evening. Whoever carries part of the carcass of any of them shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. The carcass of any animal which divides the foot but is not cloven, hoofed, or does not chew the cud is unclean to you. Everyone who touches it shall be unclean. And whatever goes on its paws among all kinds of animals that go on all fours, these are unclean to you. Whoever touches any such carcass shall be unclean until evening. Now, this is just a little subset. We could, I mean, if we went through all the different things that are unclean that you should need, different insects, different fish, all these different things, that it's a massive list. But that's just a little taste of what we're looking at. Ooh, another pun intended. Anyway, uh, uh, Peter's seeing this. He's seeing this sheet come down. He's seeing unclean animals on there. And he's being instructed to go against Jewish law and to rise up and eat. How do you deal with that? All right. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to pause here for a minute because we're, what we're going to see now is we're transitioning from that totally Jewish system to where what happened to the law when Christ was, had his death, burial, and resurrection? What happened to the law? It was fulfilled. Let me ask you, do you still follow the Old Testament law? You do not. Now, when we look at the moral law of God, has God's moral law ever changed? Back when uh, Cain killed Abel, was the law in place? Was the moral law in place? Was, uh, what, did God say, well, the law isn't in place, so it's okay if Cain killed his brother? Is that what happened? No, because God's moral law was in place. So when we're looking at the Mosaic law that was given specifically to Moses on Mount Sinai and the three or uh, 613 commandments, 365 or negative, 248 negative, all of those 613 commandments that God gave in the Torah deal with Mosaic law. It's not part of the moral law, if you will, which God has always had. What we're looking at now and why I'm going to go to this passage is because we're starting to be inclusive of all people. If you recall, and we've gone through this in the past, when Jesus even was still speaking on this earth, when he was in his earthly body, what was the target group that he was after? What group? It was the Jewish people. He said, you go to the lost sheep of Israel. That was his command. The, the, the Gentiles basically were brought in as proselytes at that time. So Gentiles could come to Christ, but he was really working with the Jewish people, and he was quite specific about that. 
Now we're going to where there's no difference between Jew, Gentile, and anyone else. So here's the passage. But now you yourselves are to put off all these. He starts out with some negative things about God's people. Uh, Put these things off. In other words, they shouldn't be part of the Christian vernacular. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man which who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Now here's the, here's the punchline that we want for tonight. Where there is neither Greek, Greek referring to what group of people? The Gentiles. All right, so it's just a common term used to describe Gentiles. In God's Christian church, there is neither Gentile or Greek nor Jew circumcised nor uncircumcised. So when we're looking at this from a biblical perspective, who were the circumcised? The Jewish people. Who were the uncircumcised? Gentiles. So he's using a double concept here. Uh, There's no difference whether you're a Gentile or whether you're a Jew. There's no difference whether you're circumcised or or uncircumcised. Then he goes into some others. Barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free does not matter who you are today or where you came from. Why? Because Christ is what? He's all and in <coughs> and in all. All right? So the point is this. And, and, and again, we say that, I say this over and over and over and over again. Those two doors down there and the doors we have off to the sides of this church. I've made this statement and I'll keep making this statement that anybody who wishes to come through those doors is welcome at Union Grove Baptist Church. Don't care if they're Jewish, don't care if they're Gentile, don't care uh, anything about where they were, what they've done, do not care, come on in. Now, I also always state the caveat, anybody's welcome to come into the church, anytime, anyplace, anywhere, come on down. Here's the caveat. There are people that on occasion have agendas. And there are those that may not particularly care for everything that we teach from the Bible here. They have a right to come in. We will love them. We will share with them. We will treat them like everyone else. But if someone comes in and tries to get subversive or cause a disturbance, then I revert back to my former profession, which was being the sheriff of Milwaukee County. And we will kindly ask them to either behave themselves or, fortunately, we've never had to do that. I've had a few folks that uh, had some subversive things, tried to convert folks back in the lobby, and uh, I've never had to talk to them because everybody else took care of the issue and uh, problem solved. But uh, again, what's my point? My point is that everybody is welcome here. I don't care what their background is. Uh, I was on, and I'm, I'm always... A little cautious when I do this, but uh, when we look at the massive amount of change that's taking place with uh, gender dysphoria and uh, gender transformation, all these things, and uh, you're like, well, pastor, that's not something we endorse as Christians, is it? No, it's not, but every single one of the people that's, that has gone through it is more than welcome to come here. They are. And uh, one of these days, a hundred of them are going to come walking at the same time to see if I'm if I'm going to stand up to what I've said publicly a million times. And we will come on down, grab a seat, enjoy the service, and uh, we'll we'll fellowship with you. But we will not change our standards. We will not change the Bible. Uh, we will not allow folks to be subversive and go against Scripture. But uh, if 
you're willing to come in and listen, come on down. I'd love to have you. And I mean that sincerely. All right, let's move on. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Now, when the righteous of God, when the, I'm sorry, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Here's the operative section. To all and on all who what? Believe. What's he saying again? So in Romans 3, God is reiterating this issue that we're getting away from this exclusiveness of Jews versus Gentiles, of circumcision versus uncircumcision, and now what? We're all one big happy family, better known as the body of Christ. There's no division among it. That's why, uh, um, and I, again, some of you know this, some folks that are newer may not, uh, my wife is part Jewish. And you say, well, boy, that's... Uh, in the Old Testament, that would have been a horrible thing. You're right, it would have been. Uh, but there's no difference today. So she's got two and one. She's got Gentile and Jewish. She's good to go. Uh, but anyway, the, the point is there's no diversity. To, there's no division today biblically based on the gospel, the grace of God. For there is no difference. Why? Because all Jew, Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, bond, nor free, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God says, I want to lump you all into one big big uh, uh, category. Every single person has sinned. Can we agree on that? Yes. I mean, we have. Every single person has inherited sin from who, by the way? Yes. By what? Your by your father. Do you know how many, how many folks, when, I, when I'm on the radio or TV and I talk about uh, you inherit sin from your father, I don't know if it's just something that most pastors overlook or they maybe haven't caught it. But uh, we get the sin nature from dad, which is why Jesus had to be what? Virgin born. Because if Jesus would have been, had a, a, a human father, what have he also have had? The sin nature, and he couldn't have had it. You say, how do you know Jesus was virgin born? Because Isaiah prophesied about it 700 years before it took place, Isaiah 7 14, that uh, Mary would have a son who would be virgin born and reiterated multiple times in the Gospels. All right. The bottom line is we've all sinned, and Jesus said, listen, uh, uh, in, uh, uh, um, through uh, the apostle Paul, yes, everyone's a sinner, but what else does everyone have the opportunity to do? Come to Christ, right? So there is no difference. All right, I'm going to go back to, I haven't put this up in quite some time. I just want to reiterate very quickly what is taking place in the major transition that is now taking place through Paul, which we looked at, and when Paul's out of the scene now for three chapters, where's Paul right now? He's off the grid. He's, he's up in Troas. Uh, going, he went back home for a bit. So Peter is the main uh, uh, person in these next three chapters. But let's just review where we've been so you can see how God is doing what he said in Acts 1-8. Look in the lower right corner. This is how God said the gospel will progress. This is exactly what took place in history. Acts 1.8. But you shall receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me. Who's speaking here? Jesus. Jesus is. So you will be witnesses to me where? Number one, in Jerusalem. And that's exactly when we started going through the progression in Acts, the gospel was going specifically to the Jewish people in Jerusalem. Then he said in all Judea, all right, in other words, it expands out from that, from the city of Jerusalem into the lower third of Israel, which is Judea, the gospel went out. 
Then to Samaria. Where's Samaria at? Just north of Judea. Remember, uh, Israel's in three sections. Lower is Judea, middle Samaria, upper is Galilee. So he's like, it keeps progressing. The gospel keeps going out. Also a key part about Samaritans were that they were not pure Jewish individuals. Now, you said based on what I just said, would my wife have fit into the Samaritan category? Absolutely, because she was part Jew, part Gentile. And that was frowned upon back in the day. It's, of course, now not an issue anymore because we're all the same in Christ. But, uh, okay, it, it went into that next place. Uh, place and now he says it's not only going to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, but now where? To the uttermost parts of the earth. So let's see, we're not quite to the uttermost parts of the earth yet in, in Acts 10, but we're getting there. All right, Acts chapter 2 through 7, there's only, only Jews and Gentile proselytes were being spoken to. He was not talking to the Gentile populace yet, and if you read through those first seven chapters, nothing is said about Gentiles. So who are they reaching? Jews, proselytes, uh, they introduced to men of Israel, men of Judea, all the house of Israel, all Jewish individuals. Why? Because that was the populace at the, in that place. Uh, then we go to the next one, Acts chapter 3, men of Israel. That's who is addressed there. We get down to Acts chapter 4 and 5. Uh, the people addressed are the captain of the temple, Jewish temple, priests and Sadducees, Sadducees. Sadducees, uh, all are what? Jew or Gentile? All Jewish people. All right, we get down to Acts chapter 5, elders, children of Israel, again, all Jewish. Then uh, next one, which is in the middle of the page, you can see the Hellenists, Acts chapter 6, verse 1, are addressed. The Hellenists were basically Greek-speaking what group of people? Jews. They were Jews that uh, basically followed the Greek culture. And now we get to a Gentile, but what was he? a proselyte to Judaism who then comes to Christ, but he was Nicholas, a proselyte, so he first trusted in, in uh, uh, basically was a proselyte to Judaism before he came to uh, be a uh, believer. All right, now we, we get to Acts chapter 7 where we have Stephen, who was martyred, was preaching to what group of people? The Jewish people again. So it's still the dominant individuals being reached up through Acts 7, Jewish now we go to Acts chapter 8, and we start the progression going following Acts 1-8. All right, we did Jerusalem, we got Judea, we've been dealing almost exclusively with Jewish people and a couple of Gentile proselytes to Judaism. And now we get to the Samaritan, the Ethiopian eunuch who was a proselyte. So we have Samaritans, which were part Jew, part uh, Gentile. We have the Ethiopian who was all Gentile, but he was a proselyte to Judaism, and Philip gets to him, if you remember the account. Philip finds him uh, heading back from Jerusalem after he was there for one of the Jewish feasts. He, uh, uh, Philip says, uh, God basically, an angel tells uh, uh, Philip, go down and talk to that eunuch. He goes down to the eunuch who's uh, very rich. He's with his caravan. He's headed back to Ethiopia, and what book was uh, he reading? Isaiah. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. Now, he wasn't reading a book. It was a what? A scroll back in the day. So he's reading uh, the scroll of Isaiah, and uh, Philip comes down, and who's he preached to him? Who's he preached to him? What, what person? Jesus. Preaches Jesus to him, right? And uh, he uses Isaiah 53, which basically is the gospel involved in Isaiah 53. Is it? 
It is. 700 years before Christ came, Isaiah 53 very specifically goes through the things that Christ would do. All right, now we move forward to Acts chapter 9, which we looked at last week. So we see how exactly how Acts 1-8 is being fulfilled. Jews uh, uh, in Jerusalem, Jews in Judea, going up to Samaria, where you have Jew and Gentile mix. And now Saul comes to Christ, and what specific group did God call Saul to minister to? The Gentiles. To the exclusion of Jews? No. Uh, so Saul is converted, and uh, his other name is Paul, same person, synonymous terms. He gets converted, and God says, all right. And, and back when we get out of, uh, away from the things about Peter, Saul is, or Paul is really going to pick up the pace, and he's going to be going on his three missionary journeys and reaching out to what main group of people? Gentiles. All right, makes sense? All right, so this is, this is how the progression of the gospel, how the outreach of the gospel took place during that first century. And we're now up to Acts chapter 10, where Peter is now being told, hey, Peter, you're a good Jewish guy. You've been doing great, but you've got to expand your horizons a little bit here. So God is now working on Peter's heart that we're done with the strict Jewish system, Peter. Can you get that? And it takes a bit. All right, which is why God has him have this vision of we're no longer doing the law thing, Peter. And, it can, and again, just imagine how tough that would be for you. You grow up in uh, uh, whatever church you, you belong to, and all of a sudden somebody else comes in, takes the pulpit basically, and says, no, everything has changed since the last guy was here. That's literally what happened. So it's a massive change, cultural change, that they had to go through. All right, Acts 10.15. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, what God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times. Now, again, I use that simple little illustration. If my mom told me to do something once, it better get done. If she had to tell me twice, oh, uh, it better get done. If she had to tell me something three times, guess who's going to talk to me when uh, daddy comes home? <laughs> All right? Uh, but what's the point? It's emphasis three times. Peter, we're not kidding. This is the real deal. We're changing direction. Now here's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run out of time, but hit Galatians here for a moment basically to show what's taking place. Galatians, the entire book of Galatians was written, of course, by, uh, by Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to slam home this idea that folks were done with the law. Do you get that? We're done with the law. And uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 6, but from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man, neither Jew nor Gentile, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. He's trying to push this concept. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised, in other words, the Gentiles, had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised or Jews was to Peter, for he worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised or Jews also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. Again, this is new stuff to you that have been in Christendom since you were young and you grew up in a Christian church. It's like, what's the big deal? 
Well, man, it was a huge deal back then. So it's a massive change that was taking place. And when James Cephas, who was Peter, by the way, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me, speaking of Paul, and Barnabas, the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the whom? The Gentiles, and they to the circumcised, or the Jewish. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I was eager to do. All right, so again, all this is a massive transition. For those of you, it's like, this is 2,000-year history. It means nothing to us. Well, it does mean, yeah, and I agree. It, it does mean a lot to us because even today, do you realize there's still division between Jew and Gentile today? 2023? Do you ever hear the term anti-Semitism? What is anti-Semitism? It is hatred for the Jewish people. It's 2023, it's 2,000 year history. And the cultures are still clashing. Why are there hundreds of different denominations and hundreds of different churches and why is there so much doctrinal division? <laughs> yeah, because Satan does everything he can to mess things up. But folks, why is all the, it's 2023, 2,000 years after this stuff happened and nothing's changed. For you that grew up in a good, solid Bible-believing church, it's like, yeah, you know, it's, it seems, why are we even studying this? We know the answer. But I'm telling you, as soon as you go out those doors, you're running into thousands and tens of thousands and millions and billions of people that aren't buying a word of this. Let's move on. Verse 21, then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nations of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanying him. And the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them, and they called together his relatives and close friends. All right, so Cornelius is realizing something big is going down here. He's getting his friends. He's bringing in his relatives. It's like if you had, uh, uh, I mean, if you had knew somebody, whatever, somebody that you really thought was worth hearing or worth listening to, and uh, they were coming to your home, and it's like, man, I got to get all my friends and relatives to hear this. This is going to be great. It's exactly what he did. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Bad move, Cornelius. But Peter lifted him up saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. All right, so he, uh, he got caught up in uh, starstruck with Peter, but uh, Peter did the right thing. It's like, hey, I'm just another man. Let's chat. Then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. Now, we not only had the Old Testament law, but we also had the, uh, the Jewish oral traditions, Jewish written traditions, and it was very specific when it came to fellowshipping with those nasty Jewish or uh, nasty Gentile people. You stay away from Gentiles. They're unclean. They're yucky. They're they're pagan. So here's an issue. 
Peter saying, yeah, I'm a Jew, but I'm coming into your Gentile home. That's huge. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. How did God show it to him? The what? In the vision. What did he see? Unclean animals coming down on the sheet. Rise up, kill and eat Peter. What was he telling them? The Old Testament law. There's no such thing as clean and unclean, if you will, when it comes to animals and people. They're all the same in Christ. Therefore I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent for me? All right, well, great question. And now we all are waiting for that wonderful answer that we've been going 40 minutes trying to find out. Here it is. So Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. All right, we already read that. We know that. Verse 33, so I sent you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Now it is here. Are you ready? Then Peter opened his mouth and said, I perceive that God shows, what's the answer? No partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. So Peter just got taught a lesson when he had that vision of the clean versus the unclean, and now he's down at Cornelius's home, a Gentile, and he's now making it very clear. Listen, buddy, we're all in this together. We're all in this together. Wouldn't it be wonderful if all God's people were in it together? It sounds so trite. It sounds so simple. And yet it took a massive movement of God. It took a vision of God. It took a centurion. It took Peter. It took all these different things taking place to wake people up to the fact the gospel, the grace of God, is open to whom? Everybody. For there is no difference. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Christ, through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Not just the Jews, not just the Gentiles, not just whatever, everyone. The words you know which was proclaimed throughout Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed, remember the, uh, how many of you here were Sunday heard me talk on the issue of anointing. Anointing, being set apart by God for a specific purpose. Uh, we talked about established, anointed, and sealed uh, Sunday morning. And the anointing, well, God anointed. He appointed Jesus to a very specific purpose. Uh, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Spirit with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they what? They killed by hanging on a tree. Think about that. Jesus came in. He helped people. He fed people. He healed people. He provided for people, and then they killed him. They hung him on a tree. Most horrible of deaths, crucifixion.
do? He raised him up on the third day and showed him openly. By the way, did uh, who killed Jesus? We all did. Could any of us take our take the? Uh, could well, let's put it this way: Could the Roman soldiers kill Jesus? Mm-mm. He gave his life. He gave his life. He willingly gave his life to pay for our sins, and he made that very clear. But God raised him up, showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who is ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets, speaking of the Old Testament prophets, witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will do what? Receive remission of sins. And here's the end. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision, speaking of the, of the uh, Jews, who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. How did they know that? What was the sign? Well, they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. All right, let's pull all this together. So we have the Jews, we have the Gentiles, we have transition time, where God is making it very clear that every single person who will believe the gospel, what's the gospel? If you're here tonight, if I ask you this question, if you're to die right now, where would you go? Where would you go? Those watching on the Internet tonight, if you die right now, where would you go? If you can't answer that question with an affirmative answer, Here's the gospel that was being given to the Jews, the Gentiles, and anyone who would listen, and it's no different 2,000 years later. Here's the gospel. The Bible says, and we looked at it a little bit earlier, Romans 3.23, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all done wrong. We've all inherited this sin nature through Adam, through our father. You can't avoid it. We're all sinners. And God said, because we sin, if we got what we deserved, every single one of us would spend an eternity in an awful place called the lake of fire or hell. Revelation 21.8, it talks about the second death. The second death is the first death is physical. The second death is spiritual death. Anyone without Jesus Christ will experience the second death. It's not what God wants because the lake of death or uh, the second death is indeed the lake of fire which burns with fire and brimstone. Politically incorrect, incorrect, but biblically spot on. But the good news is this, just as we uh, are reading about today, looking at this, Jesus Christ, God's son, comes down from heaven dies on the cross for our sins, was buried, and three days later rose from the dead. And then God says, listen, I, I got a gift for you. I'm going to give you a gift tonight. And some of you need to accept that gift. Many of you in this room already have, but there's a free gift for you tonight. You say, a gift? What's the gift? The gift is called eternal life with Christ. How do I get that gift? Well, the same way you get any gift. You reach out and you take it, and this is by faith. Here's the verse, and you all know it, or many of you know it. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace, God's free, unmerited gift, are you saved? What does the save mean? Save from sin, save from the penalty of sin, which is a lake of fire. For by grace, God's free, unmerited gift, are you saved? Save from sin, save from the penalty of sin. And it is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any person should boast. You see, God made the gospel very clear. The world's religions tell you to work, do your best, try your hardest, maybe you'll get to heaven. And Jesus said, no, that's not how you get to heaven. It's by grace. It's by a free gift that you must reach out and take 
by faith and faith alone. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I invite you to do that as we close in prayer. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the Word of God and just how very specific and clear it is. And Lord, uh, we thank you for teaching us how you started the church, how you progressed the church in the book of Acts. Father, as always, I don't want to close without giving maybe uh, uh, someone the opportunity tonight to receive Christ as their personal Savior and know that their sins are forgiven and their home will be heaven someday. If that's you tonight, if you, if you walked in or if you are watching tonight and you said, boy, I, I, I didn't know I could know for sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. But wow, I, I heard the gospel tonight and I, I want to receive that. Well, if that's you tonight, by faith, just accept what Jesus did for you. You know the verse, John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever believes in him should not perish or go to hell, but have everlasting life. Would you take that free gift right now by faith? Would you accept him, receive that free gift? Did you do it? If you did, that's wonderful. Well, how about let's pray together a little prayer of thanksgiving. The prayer is uh, just confirming what you just did in your heart by faith. Maybe silently you'd like to say something like this, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I don't deserve to go to heaven, but I understand that Jesus died for my sins, that he was buried and rose again from the dead, and by faith I'm receiving that I've received that free gift tonight. Thank you so much for saving me and promising to take me to heaven when I breathe my last breath. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks so much for being here. Uh, it's about 10 2, so you got a few minutes to chit chat or do what you want. And uh, oh, by the way, if you got kids downstairs, don't forget to take them home, okay? <laughs> All right. Have a, have a good, after, or good evening. We'll see you in a week.